Well, good morning, Vista. Thank you so much for being here this morning to worship with us. Uh, man, it's already been just an amazing, amazing morning. Um, this morning, we are finishing up our conflict series, um, and we're going to do something a little bit different. So number one, you're going to get maybe the shortest sermon from me that I've ever delivered, right? You are welcome, eh? right? Hey, don't push it. Don't push it. All right. I don't have any notes, so that could be, I could go, I could go a while. No. We thought it'd be helpful as we wrap up our conflict series to um, unveil, we've been working on a, a conflict guide. It's just a, a practical resource for you. We've said all along in the series that, listen, conflict in this life is going to be inevitable and often unavoidable. And the reason for that is we're all sinners, right? In fact, we're all sinners who, um, who tend to sin habitually. Uh, we're, we tend to be repeat offenders a lot of times, right? There is, there is no relationship on earth that is free from, from sin. And therefore, there is no relationship on earth that is free completely from conflict, marriage, family, friendships, in the church, right? Conflict is, is unavoidable at times. And so we wanna, we wanna learn to be people that, that handle and deal and engage in conflict the right way. That's what we've been talking about throughout the series. And so we have a conflict guide in a little bit. Uh, our community pastors, um, Nick and Sarah, are going to come out and they're going to kind of walk us through uh, our conflict guide. Hopefully on your way in, you received one of those um, and they're going to kind of walk through that in a minute. But I wanted to end the series um, in Matthew chapter 18. We're going to look at this parable that Jesus tells called the parable of the unforgiving servant. We're going to walk through this really, really quick before they come out because the lesson, the, the big idea of this parable is, is really, really impo- important that, that we get this, especially when it comes to forgiveness and conflict, all right? So last week, um, Austin walked us through the first uh, verse, uh, verses 15 through 20 there, and he talked about how Jesus is, is sort of unpacking this um, process that you go through when someone sins against you or, or wrongs you. Uh, there are some things in scripture that are indeed very clear, right? And one of them is how we are to engage in the conflict. And so he said, look, first of all, you, your brother sins against you. What do you do? You go to your brother. You don't go try to rally people on your side and gossip about it and make it a bigger deal. First step, you go to them directly and you, you try to talk this thing out. If that doesn't work, then step two is to do what? You bring another brother with you. You bring someone else with you that can maybe help uh, navigate the, the conflict a little bit. If that doesn't work, then it says, Jesus said, you, you bring it before the church. And that can look different. It doesn't mean we get up on stage and, and air everyone's sin and dirty laundry for everyone to hear. That's, that's not what he's talking about. But there may be a point if the sinner is unrepentant that we need to, I don't know, get, get some different leadership involved in, in helping navigate the process. And then finally, if there is adamant, outright, defiant, walking in, living in sin, unrepentant sin, then, uh, you know, he says to treat him like a tax collector. And, and Austin did a great job last week of going, how did Jesus treat tax collectors? Right? He, 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 he still loved them. But the goal of any kind of church discipline is not to, to cast people away, but ultimately it's to bring them back in, okay? So Jesus walks through this very clear pattern. And then we get to verse 21, and Peter, probably on behalf of all the other disciples, asks a really important question right after that, okay? Verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say seven times, but 70 times 
7. So Peter, again, he was uh, often the first disciple to speak. He was kind of the leader, the de facto leader of all the disciples. He's voicing a a really legitimate question. Jesus has just uh, spent some time saying, here's what happens. Like like someone wrongs you and then they, they ultimately, you approach them and they repent, you forgive them. And, and then someone wrongs you and, and you approach them and they repent and you, you forgive them. And Peter's just asking the question like, so how often do I have to follow this process? Like how often do, do my brother sin and then I got to go to him and then he repents and then I forgive? How often, how many times do I have to do that? And Peter throws out a number. He's like seven times. And Peter probably is thinking he's being very generous here with, with offering numbers like seven, okay? Jewish tradition held that you, you forgave up to three times. A lot of the rabbis, the oral tradition had taught that that you forgive three times. They get that from the prophet Amos in the Old Testament. Um, There are several verses in Amos where it shows God forgave his enemies three times. God forgave three times. And so what they did is they they sort of reasoned and said, well, if God forgave three times, we don't want to out forgive God. Like we don't want to surpass God. And so you're to forgive three times. And then after three times, you're not under any obligation to forgive any longer. So Peter's over here going, How about seven? That's double what you're supposed to do. Add one. Like Peter's probably expecting some kind of congratulations from Jesus because he's so generous in offering up seven. And then Jesus responds by going, I don't say seven times, but but 70 times seven. Now, some of you can do math. Others of us can't. But I used a calculator and that is 490 times, right? 490. Again, I got to be really clear. Jesus is not just throwing out a specific number. It's not like if you're, you know, offended or sinned against and at at 491, you're allowed to not forgive anymore, right? That's not what he's getting at. He's simply using the number that Peter threw out. And, And the idea, the big idea that Jesus is getting at here is forgiveness should be unlimited. And forgiveness should go on and on and on. If someone repents, you forgive them. If they sin and they repent, you forgive them. If they wound you and they repent, you forgive them and you forgive them and you forgive them and you forgive them. And the big idea is because that's the way God forgives us, right? That's exactly what God does for us. Man, how many of you, you're like, man, I'm glad Jesus forgives me over 490 times a day, right? Like, like most of us are going, yeah, we, we want the forgiveness of Jesus. We want the mercy of Jesus. We're like, I'm so glad I worship and serve a God that forgives me and forgives me and forgives me and forgives me over and over and over again. And so we love this idea that Jesus is telling Peter, man, you forgive because that's the way you were forgiven. You were forgiven over and over and over again for all the stuff you do and say and think. You, you repent, you're forgiven. And to drive the point home then, he tells, he tells this story. Jesus says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents, this is, a, this is just an, a, a ridiculous amount of money. This is an unpayable amount of money. Um, this servant would never, ever, ever be able to repay 10,000 talents. Uh, this was the, the highest uh, numeration of, of currency. Uh, Jesus is probably just using this number to basically say, it'd be like me saying a zillion dollars, right? Like it's just an astronomical figure that the, the servant would never, ever be able to repay. And it says, and since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children so that, um, 
sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the master could get maybe something back. So the servant fell on his knees, he imploring him, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. Again, he couldn't possibly repay everything ever. Verse 27, and out of pity or compassion for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him his debt. Again, this is a picture of the gospel right here. You and I are sinners and we have racked up a sin debt that we can never possibly repay. We have, we have sinned and sinned and sinned and, and we, we owe a, a greater debt than we could ever possibly repay by all of our good works. Any, anything we could possibly do, we cannot earn. We can, we can never get out of the debt. And yet we plead for the, the cross of Jesus Christ, right? The, the forgiveness of God and, and our good master, he just forgives us. It's unbelievable. He just forgives the same thing that happens in the story. The master goes, you know what? You don't, you don't have to repay. You can't earn it. You're forgiven. If the story ended there, it'd be a fantastic story, right? It does not. Verse 28. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. By comparison, a hundred denarii would be small, small potatoes, right? Um, it, it would have been about three months wages. So an amount that could possibly be paid back. It says that he seized him and he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. And again, the difference is this is an amount that could be paid back. But he refused and he went and he put him in prison until he should pay the debt. And when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. They went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all, all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You look at the players in the story and Jesus is pretty clear here. The unforgiving servant is the Christian who has been forgiven much, who has had his sin debt removed time and time and time again a debt he could never repay and he has been forgiven much. By our very nature, our identity as Christians is rooted in the fact that we have been forgiven for much. The unforgiving servant is the Christian who takes the forgiveness of God and the mercy of God and yet when they are sinned against in life, withhold it and refuse to forgive and hold a grudge, right? That's the, that's the parable. We want God's forgiveness we take God's forgiveness 490 plus times a day if necessary. We repent, God forgives, but when someone wounds us, we want to get even, we want to hold a grudge, and we withhold forgiveness. Again, I don't know any other way to say it just as your pastor as straightforward as this. If you are a Christian who has been forgiven by God, for you to withhold forgiveness from another believer, from someone else, is hypocritical and sinful. That's what Jesus is saying. For you to withhold forgiveness from someone else is hypocritical and sinful. We are never more like God than when we forgive. And we are never more unlike God than when we withhold or refuse to forgive. 
the, the parable basically reminds us and shows us that, you know, we, God takes forgiveness. God takes forgiveness very, very seriously. It is a serious matter to God. And if we're going to be a church that maintains unity, then one thing we have got to learn to walk in, we've got to be people that learn to walk in forgiveness um, on a regular basis. And so with that in mind, uh, Nick and Sarah are going to come out and they want to walk us through this conflict guide. We hope that it will be just a helpful resource and a tool for you um, as you navigate conflict in your life, because forgiveness is serious business to God. Thanks, Dave. I'm realizing how uh, pretentious I look making people carry stuff out for me. Thanks, Jonah. Thanks, Sarah. <laughs> hey, y'all, how we doing? Awesome. Getting to talk about conflict. I can tell you're all very, very, very excited. Um, hopefully, you grab one of these guides on the way in or one of the bookmarks, uh, but you can also follow along, too, in the Church Center app. On, on, there's, on the homepage there, there's a little resource button, uh, and you can see the conflict guide on there as well. Um, we'll kind of walk you through this guide. We'll be pretty quick on this uh, and pretty practical uh, because Jesus is pretty clear on how we as believers should handle conflict. Um, and you'll kind of see on the cover there that, you know, as a church, we want to commit ourselves to resolving conflict in a way that builds up others and honors God. That's got to be our goal. Uh, and why should that be our goal? Because that is what God in Christ has done for us. You just heard Dave mention uh, you know, we don't have the right to withhold forgiveness when God in Christ has fully forgiven us and has reconciled us. And so we want to be people of reconciliation. Uh, and here's the deal. Conflict is absolutely inevitable. Look around here. Go ahead, look. That person next to you, you either have been in conflict with them or you will be. And if you are right now, I'm very sorry. This is really awkward. Or helpful. Or helpful. Yeah, that's, thank you. Opportunity. Silver lining. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and so when we talk about peacemaking, uh, you're going to see kind of two overarching themes, assess and address. And we think these are both very important. Uh, and so we're going to walk through this. Uh, and if you just want to open that guide or follow along in the app, um, first things first. A lot of times when we're in conflict, um, we tend to get these ideas in our mind that, oh, no, something is terribly wrong. And sometimes it, it may be. Uh, but sometimes we get this idea that like, oh, we must be with the wrong group of people or in the wrong family or in the wrong church. Um, being in conflict is not a sign you're with the wrong group of people. It's a sign that you're in a group with people. And that's it. And so our first thing under assess here is that we have to see conflict as an opportunity. And we're going to throw up uh, this little guide here, uh, this template that I think Austin brought up a few weeks ago. Uh, and you can see a lot of times what we're tempted to do when conflict arises is we'll just totally avoid it. Uh, we'll, we'll just pack our bags and go to a different church or find a different group or find a different family or find a different group of friends. We avoid it at all costs. And you can see here that we call this peace faking. And at times we'll, we'll deny it. Um, our people pleasers in the room, right? Um, we just kind of act like everything's okay. and We walk on eggshells when things aren't okay. And now you, you can see up here on this slippery slope, there's, there's times where overlooking an offense is helpful. Sarah will talk about this in a bit. But we don't want our immediate action to, to be to avoid or deny. We want to see conflict as an opportunity. In Matthew chapter 18, 
uh, verse 15, Jesus uh, makes it clear. He says, if a believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. Some translations say you have gained a brother or a sister. Uh, Kurt Thompson, who's an interpersonal neurobiologist, um, it's the first time I've ever said that in my entire life, um, has some, uh, some studies out, and it's really great. He, he's a believer who does conferences on, on this kind of things, and he says our brain, when we go and repair a relationship that's damaged, our brain rewires itself to say, I, I am now closer to this person. And if you think about it, you, what that does is builds trust, right? You think about it, in any healthy marriage or any healthy relationship, mistakes are made, uh, conflict arises, but when you address it, you start to build a pattern of, I can trust this person and I know they're not going to leave just because issues arise. So our first thing that we do, one of the most important things we do is see conflict as an opportunity. Uh, Sarah, why don't you walk us through kind of the rest of how we assess uh, conflict? Yeah. So the second thing that we want to do when we're assessing a a conflict or uh, something that we have against us in that manner um, might actually be the hardest thing personally that I think, Um, but we want to get the log out of our own eye. That can be difficult. And we see Jesus commanding us to do this in Matthew 5, 7. He says, first take the log out of your own eye so that you can see clearly to, to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And we all know that it's easy to see the fault of others, right? Especially when we're in conflict with them. Uh, but to see our own fault requires humility and it requires us to tell the truth about ourselves and about our own motives and our own heart. And it, Rowan Williams says, Make your soul inhospitable to untruth about yourself. So there's always room for truth, right? Uh, but we never want to blindly defend ourselves. When, when we blindly defend ourselves, we can lean heavily towards the peace breaking. And so instead, we want to examine our own hearts. We want to look at our motives and our attitude and the words that we've used and see um, what we've brought to the table and if we have anything that we need to handle beforehand. Um, so once we've done that, we have get, gotten the log out of our own eye, we need to ask ourselves uh, the third thing we want to do when we're assessing. Should this offense be overlooked? Is this offense something that, that I can overlook? Now, this is not ever an excuse for us to uh, avoid conflict, right? We, we talk a lot about how we love to avoid conflict. When we find ourselves avoiding conflict, we lean towards the piece faking, Okay. So this is not that excuse, but it's always right for us to ask ourselves, is this something that I actually need to handle or is it something that I can be overlooked? And there, before we run off to uh, address a conflict, it's important that we ask ourselves this question. I love Proverbs 19.11. It says, sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. So how do I know when to overlook a wrong? That can be a hard question. We have three questions you can ask yourself when you're considering um, if you need to overlook an offense. So three questions. Here they are. Is the offense seriously dishonoring God? Has it seriously damaged a relationship? Is it seriously hurting the offender or others? So if the answer to any of these questions is yes, then it's probably something that needs to be addressed. Okay. Now, as a good rule of thumb, if you decide that this offense is not something you're going to address it's probably not something that you need to be talking with other people about either, right? right? Because there's a good chance if you're not willing to address it and you're talking to others about it, that that is gossip. And gossip is peace-breaking. So we want to make sure if it's something you need to talk about, you need to talk to that person about it. So 
So when we're assessing this, right, we're assessing a conflict. It means examining our, our own hearts. It means uh, looking for the opportunity for growth there. Am I, am I looking to gain a brother or sister? It means looking uh, at our own hearts. Have we gotten the log out of our eye before we're going after whatever's in that other person's heart? Um, and have we considered overlooking this offense? So those are the first things that we need to do when we're approaching an offense is ask those things and work through that process. That's the assess. So Nick, let's say we are in a conflict and we've decided this is a conflict, this is an offense I need to handle. What's, what do we do first? Yeah, we need to address it. And just as a quick aside to that, um, Austin, last week or the week before, talked about this idea of triangulation, where a lot of times if, if you're married or you know, you're in a close group of friends, sometimes, sometimes it could be helpful to kind of get some wisdom to, to, in this process of should I overlook, right? Maybe one other person. Uh, a lot of times that person is your spouse. And you know, Austin and I were talking on Thursday. He's like, that could be triangulation sometimes where you go to your spouse and like, can you believe so-and-so? And so you know that one of your jobs as a good friend or spouse is to help kind of neutralize that situation as much as you can and try to bring some wisdom and not just add fuel to the fire, if, if that makes sense. And so once again, once we've decided it needs to be addressed, um, <clears throat> Jesus is really clear on this. Uh, in Matthew, um, as we've been talking about in Matthew 18, 15 through 17, the first thing that we do is we go and we talk directly and discreetly to the person or persons with whom uh, you're in conflict with. Um, and so what we want to do before we, you know, pick up the phone or get on Twitter or whatever and start, you know, just going after this person, the first thing that we want to do is pause and we want to pray. And I know like as Christians, you're supposed to say that, right? Like we pray before meals, we pray before this. Like this is one of those situations where if you're trying to work through conflict on your own power, your own strength, your own wisdom, you're doomed, um, we are not objective people, uh, and we need the guidance of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, the humility that the Holy Spirit brings. And so I would say before you dis- or a- before- after you decide to talk, the first thing that you should do is pray for wisdom, and you should also pray for the person or persons with whom you're in conflict. Jesus is also clear on that. Uh, we don't have enemies, but if we did, Jesus says pray for them anyway. Uh, and so what we want to do is pray for wisdom and guidance, and then begin to just write down... Um, you know, what, what happened, what, what kind of sparked this conflict, um, the way that you kind of felt with that, was it a disrespect, was it an embarrassment, was it something egregious, whatever that was, so that you can get your thoughts down so you're not overly um, emotional in that conversation. You can have uh, kind of uh, basically a track uh, to stand on uh, and, and, and a template that'll guide uh, that conversation. Uh, and, and one of those things is when you're writing that down and you're going to address this, you need to think about that other thing Jesus talked about, the golden rule. Think about how you would want to be addressed when you, if you messed up, or better yet, when you've messed up and you've had people approach you in a way that was uh, grace-filled, it's a lot easier to respond in kind, right? And so think about how you would want to be addressed. Assume the best about the, the person uh, until you have facts to prove otherwise, and then just pray anyway. Uh, so uh, that's how we start that conversation. Um, And you'll notice on here, uh, it says, during the conversation, all parties should share openly and graciously. They should listen carefully. Um, We're not providing you a lot for during the conversation because every conflict's different. And that's where prayer and scripture and a community, having, being people who cultivate wisdom, 
This whole conflict guide is a guide. It is not a script, okay? This is not like a do these steps and everything is, you know, this is not magic, right? This is us doing our best to submit to what Jesus has asked us to do. Uh, and so during that conversation, we can't tell you what to say. We can probably tell you what not to say. Um, but uh, during that conversation, just speak graciously, openly. Um, and then a, a good thing to do is being able to um, articulate your, uh, the persons you're in conflict with, their point of view, to show that you've really listened, you've understood, uh, is really helpful uh, for that. And sometimes that's all it takes, and you have gained a brother or sister. Sometimes that is not the end of that conversation. So talk us through that. Yeah. So if you've done this, this first step here, and um, still find that this conflict is not resolved, the next thing you want to do is take others with you. So bring someone with you. Austin mentioned last week, this should not be your cheerleader mom or your greatest fan, um, but should be one or two mutually trusted friends. Uh, Someone who can help mediate, right? Mediate means to help bring peace. That's why it's part of our, our, our peacemaking center here. So one or two who can help bring peace. With this in place, with this help, um, talk through all the things that you essentially talk through that first go around, but you have extra ears here, some mutually trusted ears to help you sort through that. Um, once you've done that, if, if it's still, you're still conflict there, it might be time to take it to your community, right? And this is a drum that we will always beat here at Vista. The importance of community cannot be um, over-communicated. And so at this point, if you're still needing help, take it to your community. Um, if you can mutually agree what that looks like, it might be your small group. It might be just some mutually trusted friends, but the key is to mutually agree. And we want you to uh, hear the uh, over and the repetitive use of mutual, right? Because this is not your opportunity to go and recruit your team, okay, to support your case. That's not yeah. what this is. The goal is reconciliation, exactly. not winning, right? Yes, yeah. exactly. So um, if you've done that, right, you've, you've brought this help in, you've taken it to your community, um, you've had those conversations, um, and it's still an issue. That conflict is still there. It might be time for step three, take it to the church. Um, a lot of times this is the first thing we want to do. We want to go and tell a pastor, right? Um, but there's clear steps here. There's, there's a way here to heal that relationship. Again, reconciliation is key. And so, but if you are needing help, you've done these steps, um, there's absolutely people that can help you. You're always welcome to um, schedule a meeting with Vista um, pastors. One of our pastors here on staff is happy to meet with you. Um, and ideally, both of you, you know, again, it's, it's a mutual thing. We want to gain a brother or sister. Um, but it might be time for that step three at that point. And we'd be happy to listen and help kind of sort through what's going on. So, yeah, hopefully if you come to a pastor here at Vista and you say, hey, so-and-so did this to me, probably the first question you're going to get asked is, have you talked to them about it? Now, Austin, again, last week did say there are instances where it is not wise, appropriate, or safe uh, to go privately or directly or discreetly. Uh, and we're well aware of those situations, uh, especially concerning abuse. And so hear us very clearly say, if you are being abused or have been abused, like you should not be alone with that person. And you should immediately kind of go to step two and bring other people into it. Um, and, and we just want to say to kind of all of this, um, this, this right here, um, much like the Proverbs, it is wisdom, it is guidance. This is not a guarantee that your life will be conflict-free. And then when you approach people, they're also reading this going, okay, we did the steps. I guess that means we're good. Um, and so you've got to be prepared um, for that situation. Um, here, here's the thing. You can see it um, there at the bottom. Forgiveness takes one. 
Reconciliation takes two. We are not called um, to, to just go out and, and never have conflict. But it's very clear uh, in Romans twelve eighteen what we are called to do. Paul's very clear on this. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. And so what this is is an opportunity to humble ourselves, to submit and trust Christ, to do the work that only he can do. And so many of us, myself included, are tempted to not submit to this, even though it's very, very clear in Scripture. And so what this is is an opportunity for all of us to grow in Christ-likeness. And our hope is that we will really, really uh, begin to live this out. Before we close, I want to kind of turn to the back here, or if you're following along on, um, in the app there towards the bottom. Um, <clears throat> these kind of peacemaking principles we just want to touch on really quickly, and then we'll close. Um, when you've addressed someone, or when you have been addressed, and it's become clear that there is conflict, and someone has come to you and has kind of brought up something that you have done, um, there's these eight A's of confession, and we think these kind of are appropriate ways to, to respond, and you can see them there. We won't really tease all these out, but uh, it's ask the Lord and trusted people for awareness, right? Like, we're not objective. And if you think you're objective, you're so subjective, you can't tell that you're not objective, right? Like, you're just not. Um, everyone thinks their kid's the best quarterback, and they're, they're not, okay? Um, I'm sorry. Whose uh, kid is? <laughs> whatever, Tom Brady Sr. Okay. Um, so here's what we do. It's not, I know, it's not, it's fact at this point. I'm sorry. Um, ask the Lord and trusted people for awareness. Address everyone involved as soon as possible. Avoid if, but, and maybe what this looks like is, hey, Sarah, I am sorry that I made you carry this out, but if you would have, you know, fill in the blank. Like, anytime you apologize and say that little three-letter curse word, but, like, it's just done. Anything you say after that, you might as well be Charlie Brown's teacher, Right? Um, admit specifically, like I, I know that there's times where people have apologized to me and they were specific of what they did and said and why they did it. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you're talking about repairing trust and relationships. That's amazing. Um, acknowledge the hurt, accept the consequences, alter your behavior and ask for forgiveness. Uh, that's, those are appropriate ways to respond. And, and once you, the person who brought up the conflict and there's been some sort of, uh, acknowledgement of that. Um, there's these three promises of forgiveness. And now this is not contingent on whether this person has offered an apology. This is just what God calls us to do as Christians. I will not dwell on this incident. I will not bring this incident up and use it against you. First Corinthians 13 is clear. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. And I will not talk to others about this incident. And those are three promises that uh, we as believers uh, make when it comes to forgiveness. Um, Honestly, like, why have we spent, what, the last six, seven weeks talking through conflict? Why did we, you know, develop this conflict guide and are spending valuable uh, time on Sunday morning trying to teach um, our church about conflict? Because I think this may be one of the most important witnesses that us as the church can give. Forgiveness, reconciliation, being people who are attempting to to, to do everything we can to live at peace with everyone is so important. Why? Because that is what God in Christ has done for us. When we were his enemies, Christ came. He died for us. Romans 5.10 says, For since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still 
his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. And we believe that this is actually a gospel issue. That as Christians, it's our most profound witness because God in Christ has forgiven us and has reconciled us and has seated us in heavenly places with his son, Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful. Um, God, we're, we're grateful for your mercy, your grace. God, your goodness. God, you have so freely lavished forgiveness upon us, but you didn't just forgive us and say, okay, I'm not gonna hold this against you. you God, you brought us back and you have made us new creations. God, and we are so grateful for that. And God, what you call us to do is, is be people who offer that in return. And so God, I pray, God, for people who are in really deep conflict right now in their families, their friendships, their small groups, whatever it may be, God, I pray for your grace and your mercy to intervene. God, I pray that your spirit would humble us, would, would bring us low, that we would see, God, we, we don't have the right as believers to hold on tightly to grudges and bitterness. And God, ultimately, those things will destroy us. And the full life you've invited us into involves forgiveness, reconciliation, repaired relationships. So God, I pray that you would do that in our families, in our communities, and God, especially in our church, because without it, we're not the church. We're a building where we sing songs. Without forgiveness and mercy and reconciliation, this place doesn't embody the gospel. So God, I pray that we would be people of your word. We'd be people of humility and obedience. And we pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.